All right, welcome back everybody to the AOG podcast. We are switching lanes a little bit today, heading into the golf world. Uh, we got Chase Garris. Chase is a Class A PGA professional. He's moved all over. He's moved 15 times, worked at eight different clubs. He's had some awesome experience, and he's one hell of a golfer. He's very in tune with his health and his wellness, and he's always working on his physical aspect of the golf game, and the guy just mashes the golf ball. We're going to dive into some fitness tips, some golf tips, and have some interesting stories along the way. And before we get started, just want to point out we have a few great resources for you for health and wellness. Just released my shorter fasting article, uh, just concise version, the five reasons why I fast, give you some insight, some science, some reasoning, find the benefits of fasting. Uh, other than that, we got pliability out there, working on the mobility, the blood flow, uh, stressing the importance of hydration. And additionally, we have all the, the amazing guests before this, some unique stories, some interesting journeys and perspectives. Man, it's just really, really inspiring. Go check them out uh, after this one. But let's get into it. We got CG Golf, Chase Garris. Here we go. All right, welcome everybody. I'm sitting here with a good friend, the young legend himself, CG Golf. How we doing, bud? What's up, AOG Podcast? <laughs> hey, it's good to have you, man. Um, I just want to quickly say thanks for everything. I'm really happy you're here. I'm excited about it. Really grateful for you, man. Your support for this platform and the shirt and just the excitement that you bring. It's been so awesome to be around, so I really appreciate that and excited to have you add value. Yeah, man. Happy to be here and uh, really looking forward to this. I know this has been a long time in the making for it, so let's get it going. All right. Well, I want to start right away jumping into your golf career. You were young. You were a really good player when you were young over in Kentucky, growing up as a junior, and uh, you went to one of your biggest tournaments and had quite an experience. Uh, tell me about that first experience as a junior golfer. Oh, man. Uh, so yeah, uh, grew up playing pretty much my whole life. Dad was a good player, kind of got me into it. And being a pretty decent player at a young age, I started playing competitively at the age of nine. Okay. You know, I was, golf wasn't very big in my town, a little small town in middle of nowhere, Kentucky. And nobody really played golf where I was at. And so I think I'm pretty good for nine years old, you know? So I go over to this golf course, little nine hole tournament, first one ever. Okay. And uh, played pretty well. I remember my mom actually scrapbooked the newspaper, so I know exactly what I shot. I shot 52 for the nine holes. That's not bad. Like, for nine years old? I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. Not too bad, right? But uh, I got waxed by this kid that I played with, and uh, he ended up, he shot 42. Really? At nine years old. That had to be the winner, right? And it, it was the winner. Uh, so I got quite the experience there, and you know, it was, uh, was kind of intimidating for nine years old. This kid had custom Titleist golf clubs, like nine years old. Who has custom Titleist golf clubs? Really? And wore black pants in the middle of the, the Kentucky summer heat yeah. at nine years old, just like the tour pros. And uh, that kid, his name was Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas, huh? Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, he's still playing those custom Titleist golf clubs <laughs> and beating everybody pretty good. So I got a, quite the first experience in competitive golf there. <laughs> those Titleist clubs are working pretty well for yeah, him. Yeah, they are. But uh, you hit a couple by him in that nine holes. Oh, yeah, you know it. Yeah, so when you were growing up, uh, you got to play varsity when you were really young, right? Like sixth, seventh grade? Yeah, I started in seventh grade. So I played six years of, uh, of varsity golf. I was 
in the top five all six years. Um, really, really fortunate to be able to do that because for the longest time, I think I was the the first kid, the first class that was able to do that. Um, the school board passed a, a rule that middle schoolers could play varsity level sports. Okay. Uh, but you had to play varsity. You couldn't play JV or freshman. It had to be either middle school ball or varsity ball. Okay, yeah. And so I was really fortunate to be able to start at such a young young age there and get experience with a lot of older guys when uh, when I was that young. And that definitely helped me in my golf career and just kind of growing up at that age too, to kind of be around some some older, more mature kids. Right. Well, it had to be kind of tough playing with these old, grown-up seniors. I mean, yeah. what was that like trying to battle with those guys at yeah, so, seventh grade? So, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here at this table. I'm six foot, uh, 150 pounds, dripping wet. So when I was seventh grade, man, I wasn't very big. <laughs> I was like 5'2", maybe 100 pounds, okay. trying to play from the, from the big boy tees back there. Right. And uh, yeah, at that time, I, I couldn't really do it. Um, like, I, like we said, like I, was a, I was a pretty good player at that time, but just too young to kind of realize like scores aren't going to translate when you're, when you're playing at that distance. But mm-hmm. you know, it, it really helped shape my game because all I knew at that time was kids I'm at practice with, they're so much older. All they're doing is making fun of me for hitting it so short. Right. And so I'm out there at practice every single day. I mean, that's all we did during the summer. We played, played, played. And every single swing I'm out there swinging out of my shoes to hit it like 200 yards. Like right. I just, I'm just trying to make it to the fairway at that time from those tees. And, um, you know, it took a while, but I eventually grew and, uh, gained a little bit of strength and that, that speed kind of training. I wasn't using any equipment. It's just me just swinging hard, but it eventually caught up and I was able to, to really move the ball quite a bit. Probably, uh, starting my junior year, I started hitting it past pretty much everybody I played with. And that's that's still been a strength in my game is is my distance and and leading that. So I mean, playing starting at such a young age at a, such a high level was a huge benefit for my for my golf game and career. That makes a lot of sense. Just swinging it fast and Heck yeah. Uh, I play with a lot of people throughout the years, and I think that I'm able to hit it pretty far. But you got to definitely another level of speed. It's fun <laughs> to watch. Um, do you think that like just swinging out of your shoes and like you said really having to swing it fast to keep up with people is what really brought that speed? Or was it a combination of maybe starting to strength train and growing up and playing other sports? Uh, I think um, playing other sports is definitely a huge advantage. Um, because especially golf, like if you grow up playing golf your whole life, that's the only sport you're playing. Um, I mean, golf has that kind of persona where if, that, if you're doing that, you're kind of like a golf nerd in a way. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't want to like put it that way, but like it kind of, it's kind of got that, that you don't really get this like high intense competition. Right. For really, sure. Right. So I grew up, I was never, I never considered myself a golfer. Uh, basketball was my main sport. Dad was a high school basketball coach, played it longer than I've played golf. Mm-hmm. And so playing basketball that long and being in an athletic environment, competitive environment, intense environment, definitely helped translate to the golf course as well. Totally. I agree with that. And do you think like watching kids now as you teach juniors and stuff, because like you look at the Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepper, they all grew up at a country club and they're getting to the athletic training later, but they kind of develop the short game skills and stuff. Do you think there's like a perfect path of competition sports and then bridging into you know specialists and at what age? Like, um, I mean, I wouldn't say there's a perfect path to really anything that you do. Yeah. But um, I mean, nowadays kids want to be, on their phones and playing video games. We just 
just get them out and having fun. Right. Like you see it a lot in, in adult golfers now as they're trying to really guide that golf ball and they want it to go straight. And so they, their object is to just hit the golf ball. But those kids, we're, we're really enforcing like hit the thing as hard as you can swing out of your shoes. It's okay. Mm-hmm. If you, I've had plenty of kids fall down trying to swing so hard. Right, and yeah. I mean, they have a ton of fun. So, I mean, eventually, of course you don't want that to, to go on forever, but eventually they'll learn to control their body. And, and I mm-hmm. think just swinging like that and swinging through the golf ball is going to be huge if they actually stick with the game, but having fun is, is definitely the most important part so that they actually do continue to play the game. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you can see that with people's short games too, like the Phil Mickelson's, Bubba Watson, Jordan Spieth, like they hit the lob shots and they're probably just out there having fun hitting different shots and they do it for so long in fun competition, they can probably have the confidence to actually translate it. Absolutely. All those guys, they, and that's, that's a lot of, of what short game especially um, is, is just experimentation. Mm-hmm. I mean, those guys, they're probably stuck out of the golf course for who knows how long when they were kids and they just got bored. So they're just trying different stuff mm-hmm. that happens to anybody in any sport. So uh, they've definitely spent a lot of time hitting those shots, but it's also them having fun out of boredom and just experimenting with their own game. Mm-hmm. Force them to be creative. That's right. For sure. So we both get to go out and play a lot of golf or in the PJ section. Or not, I wouldn't say a lot of golf. We get to play throughout the year in our PGA events and you had an awesome experience at the Assistant Championship, which I thought was super impressive. Uh, kind of the biggest tournament of the year for PGA members and assistants like ourselves is the Assistant Championship, where all the PGA assistants go. And talk to me about that opening nine and kind of your experience throughout the championship there, how you played. Yeah, that was uh, that was a kind of a wild experience. Um, a little quick little backstory is this was like you said, it was a pretty big tournament. Uh, for me at the time, and mm-hmm. uh, really wanted to kind of get my game ready. So it was about three weeks in advance. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna really hunker down and practice a little bit, try to get my game in shape for this tournament. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a Saturday or Sunday or something, almost exactly three weeks before the tournament. Before I was really gonna start the grind, and I got hit in the hand during a lesson. Really? Yeah, and. Uh, Driver hit me. I was in a bad spot, uh, place I shouldn't have been. Guy hit me in, with, right in the pinky oh. finger with his driver, almost a full swing, right on the knuckle. So I wasn't able to to grip a golf club for two and a half weeks or so because so every time every time I made a fist, I would break the skin and I'd bleed all over the place. Really? Yeah. So I, I go into this tournament. I've hit balls maybe once or twice. Oh my gosh! In, in a matter of three, three and a half weeks or so. And so I'm out there on the range and um, just just warming up, normal warm up, not working on anything, just getting the body loose. And mm-hmm. so I go out there with no expectations. I, I know I can play the game; I've been playing forever. So I'm just like, okay, no expectations. My two my two thoughts the whole time were good tempo and my full swing. And on the greens, I wanted wanted to be more aggressive with my putts. So good thoughts to have. Yeah, absolutely. And it ended up. Playing, playing out pretty well for me. Um, How did so, it start out for you? Man, I, I jumped out on the first tee. Never seen this golf course before. I have no idea what I'm about to get myself into. Tee up the ball on the first tee. I'm thinking good tempo, good tempo, good tempo. Rip a three-wood down the middle. Par five. Second shot, I've got about 220 in on this par five. I've got a five iron. Same, same swing thought, tempo, tempo, tempo. Flush the five iron. Hit it up there at about 12 feet. Okay. 
Now, second swing thought, be aggressive with the putts. Let's go. Get up there 12 feet, center cup. Eagle to start. <laughs> and, uh, no, I mean, it's the first hole. It's a, it's a 36-hole event. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's nice to have that kind of start, but we got a lot of golf left, right? Mm-hmm. So can't get too excited. No, I never really do over anything, but can't get too excited over, over a good start. But it's definitely nice to have. Mm-hmm. Second hole, I mean, we're keeping the, the same tempo. Be aggressive. Tempo, be aggressive. Birdie the second hole. Okay, here we go. Third hole is this big dog leg right. No idea where I'm going. Ended up not being a driver hole, but I pump a driver. <laughs> nice. And I uh, pull the shit out of this thing. Okay. In the, so this is number three now. I'm in the almost past number four's fairway. And uh, got lucky to, to find it. Hit it up on the green to about 30, 40 feet. Almost make that putt for birdie. Like no. burn, burn the edge. <laughs> So tap in par. Okay. okay. Thank goodness I look. I found my golf ball. I made a par. We're sprinting to the next hole. Mm-hmm. Number four is par five. Pump a driver down the middle of the fairway. Got mm-hmm. about 180, 185, something like that. Into the par five. Hit a seven iron up there with that good tempo swing thought to about 10 feet. Aggressive on the greens. Make the putt. Eagle. So what are we, five under So now? we're five under through the four holes. All right. And... Um, to start the assistance to championship. To start the assistance championship. I mean, so I'm even at that at that point, um, I've been in this situation before. Mm-hmm. I've I've been five under through four holes before, so like I'm I'm still pretty comfortable, right? So I'm not thinking about my score too much. I'm like, okay, I've I've done my job and what I need to do. And I don't even know at this time if I if I know if I'm five under. Like I'm just I'm thinking the two things. I'm thinking tempo. And I'm thinking, be aggressive on the greens. Like, that's it. Yep. So what do we do the next few holes? Uh, next few holes of par four and uh, real, another short par four. And I can tell off the tee it's not a driver hole, but I don't know where I'm going. So I, I try to play it smart and hit a three iron up in a spot that I think is pretty good. And I kind of push it out to the right a little bit, and it flies in one of the fairway bunkers. Mm. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I uh, know where it's at. I'm going to go hit it again. Mm-hmm. It's all you can do in golf. Find it and hit it again. Yep. But uh, get up, and I've got 70 yards to an elevated green. I can't see the putting green. I only see the top of the flag out of a fairway bunker, and I'm sitting there like, uh, this is this is not going to go well. Okay. And but I mean, we're we're sticking with the swing. Yeah. Like, just keep no thoughts. We're not thinking about what we're doing. Just keep the good tempo. And I hit a really good. Good bunker shot out of this. It flies right over the flag. I'm like, that might be a tap in right there. Ended up being about 20 feet or so behind, right behind the flag. Mm. Make that putt. No, you didn't. Another birdie. Another <laughs> birdie. All right, we're six under now. And I, I haven't even, like, all these putts are just right in the middle of the hole. <laughs> and putter's feeling really good. I don't have any thoughts going, like, swing is whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we go to the next. This is, so now what am I? Six, Six under through five. This is a now new territory for me. Uh, next hole is par three. I hate par threes. My yeah. scoring average on par threes is freaking terrible. Who likes par threes? Come on. Nobody. Uh, but it's a short par three. It's probably about 120 yards, something like that. It might have even been shorter that day. And uh, hit this, hit a 50 degree pin seeking. Just, just this dart right at the flag. Okay. And, in the air, I'm telling it to go in. Are you saying that I'm out not, loud? I mean, I'm not saying it out loud, but but You're in my head, it? I'm like, just go in the damn hole. <laughs> <laughs> might as well at this point. Right. But uh, hit it right over top the flag to about 
eight feet, but this green is has got some undulation to it. it and it slopes from back to front. So this, I've got an eight footer, but it's probably the most difficult putt I've had all day. Yeah. Eight feet, probably got to aim two feet out, outside of the hole. Make that putt for two. Drain for, that for putt? A <laughs> for a two. <laughs> all right. So now I'm seven under through six, and it's starting to kind of creep in on me on what the hell's going on. Yeah. Number seven's par four, little water on the right. Not thinking about that. I know I can hit it past all that. No issues with this. Hit the fairway, and I've got my money club. That same 120-yard shot that I just hit, okay. I'm feeling really good. I love my 50-degree, and I'm feeling I'm feeling good. And uh, get up over this thing from the middle of the fairway and pull the crap out of it. No. Pulled it way left to a tucked left pin. Oh. So I'm like, all right, reality a little bit. Yeah. Like, let's go hit a good chip for close. Let's make par. I'm like, just don't be an idiot and— Make, make anything worse than bogey. I go up there and had to hit a flop shot. I love hitting flop shots. It's like one of short game wise, it's probably my no, most comfortable shot, honestly. Okay. I don't know why. Yeah. I can't, t- there's no, there's no reason to why that is, but it's just one of those things. Get up there and I've got to swing at this thing pretty hard and kind of bail out a little bit on it and end up hitting this thing probably 35 feet past the hole. Smart shot, kind of. Yeah. Just to get it on the green. The, I let thoughts creep in on me there. That was like that was telling me don't make that big number and leave this thing short and then have to get up and down for bogey. And you didn't make this putt. And this is a big bender. I mean, this thing's running away from me the whole time, mm. like just just super fast. No. And I drained this. No, thing. you didn't. <laughs> right again, right in the middle of the hole. Right in the middle. So I'm seven under through seven, and right. I make that putt, and I was like, I'm gonna do this. And uh, I mean that magic number is kind of creeping in Have my head. Have you ever shot in the 20s before? No, not even close. 32 is my low. Okay. And um, heck, that was like a long time ago in high school. Yeah. And <clears throat> number eight. Number eight is a dead straight par four with trees on both the right and left. Like there's, you have to hit it straight or you're punching out of the trees. Okay. And um, get up there, I find my target and smash this thing like on a laser. Dead down the middle, bombs, and that at that point, that's when I knew. And once once I hit that fairway, I was like, I told myself I, I did it. I like we're gonna actually do this. And I had about one fifteen in there from the dead middle of the fairway. Hit a decent mm. shot, not a great shot, to about twenty feet behind the pin. Again, not not a great shot. I mean, if I'm hitting it past the pin, the, these greens are running away from me. I'm not yeah. leaving myself with with easy pots like these are fast and slippery greens and uh get up there and hit this pot and i mean i'm telling i don't know how this ball didn't go in no it missed power lips power lip still to this day have no idea how this ball did not go in the hole really i'm a little disappointed because as soon like it got halfway there and i'm thinking i did it i'm thinking Oh my God, like we're going to shoot 27 now. <laughs> like, screw 29, we're shooting 26, 27. I didn't know what, what it was. I was like, we're going on stupid low. Yeah, here. for sure. And this thing just caught so much of the hole and didn't go in. And I, oh. the guys playing with me, like, I think they almost dropped too, like, because they knew what was going on. And uh, so I go up there and I tap in my, my par. And I'm like, all right, good. Par. Mm-hmm. Nine uh, is kind of a weird ending. Nine's a par three. That dreaded par three again. Seven uh, under still, last hole nine. Seven in under. The front. Um, yeah, looking really good. And 
sitting there. This this par three was not quite as easy as that first one. This one was about 190 yards. No, I'm sorry, uh, 185 or so. Okay. Little downwind. Pin was tucked all the way in the back left corner. Okay. And so I take an eight iron out. Same swing. Same swing thought. Nothing's Good changed. Good tempo. Be aggressive on the greens. That's that's it. That's all we're that's all we're doing. Yep. Just swinging the golf club and flush this thing. It's starting in the middle of the green, and it's actually got a little draw on it, heading towards the flag. And it, that was the definite point that I knew. I was like, we're, yeah, this is it. And I hit it to like 15 feet. It was probably the best shot I hit all day. All right. It was so far through the nine holes. Mm-hmm. And I get up there and talking to the guy I'm riding with, and, and I'm like, all right, let's go. Because he, he hit a good shot too, and I said, all right, let's go make two twos. And... And I, I wish I could take this back. I wish this wasn't true, but I swear I got behind that ball to line it up and read the putt. And the first thing that popped in my head, and I don't know where it came from, was lag it and, and shoot 29. No. And then, but I erased it really quick. Right. And I said, I said, F this. I said, we're going to shoot 28. Yeah. And got up there, didn't hit a great putt, ran it by about four feet. And that's when I was like, oh boy. This is, uh, this is not what I wanted to have for uh, to shoot twenty nine. Yep, and and got up there and and missed the four footer. No, so, so I three putted from no from fifteen feet and shot thirty on my first nine holes. Of the assistance championship. Oh man, come on, CG. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a little heartbreaking, a little bit in a way. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I shot thirty like. It's incredible. I shot 30 in, in my first nine holes of, of a 36-hole championship. Like, it's not over. And mm-hmm. and in a way, I was almost kind of glad that that I missed that putt because, like, after that happened, I, it was like a monkey jumped off my back. Because I, I, I mean, I was so uncomfortable in that situation with that four-footer and really with that 15-footer mm-hmm. um, because it's it's just a situation that, that I'd never been in before, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, I mean, now if I go out and and I'm in the zone like that again – um, which hopefully will happen again soon, of course. But uh, but now I've I've been there and I've experienced that, so mm-hmm. so I know what to expect and, and how to handle that situation. So thankful to have that, but uh, there's definitely room to grow. <laughs> Absolutely, and and it's uncomfortable. I mean, I think any golfer can relate to when you're getting that new low. As much as you've trained and as much as we know to keep your mind sane, keep the tempo. Those thoughts creep in, and it's tough. Like you said, you try to shut it down, but that's just part of being human. Yeah, exactly, experience, man. yeah. <laughs> So I ended up shooting 68 for those 18 holes. Made two bogeys on the back, and the rest were pars. So, so held it together pretty nicely, and actually made some really good pars on on that back nine to to finish it off. And that was actually that's actually 68's my low tournament round. All right. Um. So pretty happy with that. Were you in the lead? Uh, tied for first after the the first day. Okay. And so I was in the final group on on the second day, and just couldn't keep the driver in play on the second day, and kind of shot. I think I shot when I shoot 77. Okay. Ended up finishing seventh, so didn't get the job done, but uh, still cool to be in that situation and happy to post the score that I did. For sure, I mean, being in the final group, that's pr- got to be a pretty awesome experience. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want, and and I was uh, I was loving that situation. And so to be in the final group and what was the biggest tournament that I played in in six or seven years was uh, was really cool, and I was really liking the opportunity, but uh, just didn't get it done, and, and that happens. So, so what did you learn about yourself throughout that experience, like the, with the pressure and having to kind of just center yourself? What kind of things can you take away? Yeah, um, that's a that's a good question, actually. Um, you know, what was actually really really key for for me at that time 
uh, was being able to con- to uh, control my breath out really? there. Yeah, and and a, that might sound really weird to to a lot of people because golf isn't it's not like a, an aerobic exercise, right? It's it's not like basketball or football where we're running, running, and we're getting out of breath and we have to catch our breath all the time and, and keep stamina. It's it's a little bit slower. You got more time to think, but I mean your heart rate's still going and mm-hmm. and and breathing is a learning how to breathe is a great way to to control your heart rate and your emotions and stuff like that. And and that was that was huge for me at that time. Well, I know watching like Tiger and Phil or any of the guys on tour, you can noticeably in, in the clutch, you can see them breathing. Right. It's like a focus for them. When did you start adopting that or why why focus on the breathing? Yeah, so um, I've been doing these these monthly challenges since since April. And the challenge in the month of, of June, this tournament was in at the end of July. The the challenge in June was for me to take cold showers every day. Oh my gosh! Now, and that was every shower that I took during June. It had to be cold. And I'll tell you what, man. You, I, I didn't know what to expect going into that thing, oh. but um, but I learned a lot from that, and and really feel like that I learned how to control my breath uh, from that challenge. And I wasn't expecting it to translate to anything like personally or athletically, like whatsoever, but. But I learned really, really quick how to jump in that cold water and, and start to start to breathe normally again, and that really helped in, in some pre- pressure situations. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, I know I jump in the cold shower sometimes too, so I can definitely relate, but it's usually after a sauna or something. I can't imagine yeah. just like waking up and hopping in. <laughs> Wake up, hop in, and get in that cold. Oh, how'd you get yourself to do that? Oh man, it was the, I think it was the accountability part where I put it on social media and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really like... I don't video. I don't do any updates with any of these challenges. It's more just me putting it out to the world. It doesn't matter how many people see it or not, but but people see it. That holds me accountable. And in my head, I'm like, okay, I put this out there now that I have to do it. Absolutely. And I know I kind of follow along. I, I get to pick and choose because I don't decide to quick <laughs> totally go ahead and do them. But I think this is something that you sh- should really continue to do. And I know some of my friends, they tell you like, hey, we should do the challenges with uh, CG Golf and stuff. So I think they're so cool going ahead in the future. Uh, what other the challenges you know do you really like or what other ones stuck out to you over the year? Uh, so I'll just run through all 12 of them real quick. I won't go into detail on on most of them, but okay. uh, so I started it in a- this past April of 2019. Uh, first one was to make my bed every morning. Uh, May was to journal every day. June was cold showers. July was meditate. August was to only drink water. Mm-hmm. September was uh, intermittent fasting. All right. Octo- I know you're huge into that. Yep. October was no new purchases. November was no phone in bed. Uh, this December was uh, do something you don't want to do, uh, which is translated to the daily challenges that I've been posting. Oh, yeah. Uh, January, uh, by the end of January, I want to be able to do 50 straight pull-ups, and our man Austin Yoakum's been, been key in helping me get to that goal. And then February is I have to wake up at 6 a.m. no matter what day it is, and March is for me to floss at least once. Well, all right, cool. So let's get like a top three. or Give, us, give me a few that you really liked. Okay, so like I just said, uh, we're just talking about uh, the month of June was the cold showers. That was definitely number one for me, right. and that's that's really been the the only one that I've tried to get other people to do. Uh, I just had such a great experience uh, through that through that challenge, and you really learn so much about yourself and your body and how to control your emotions and your breath. Like it was it was an incredible experience. 
Uh, don't do them every day or quite as often as that, but uh, still do them from time to time. And and I honestly just, I love it. Is it like a David Goggins mentality too? Not just like the breathing and stuff, just having to force yourself to get in a cold shower? I think that's definitely part of it. Um, kind of like this December was uh, do something you don't want to do. You definitely don't ever want to take a cold shower. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's definitely something kind of just to start your day, like get on, get really uncomfortable real quick. And then you feel like the rest of the day is, is pretty easy. Absolutely. After that. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and then my other two, I couldn't decide. Uh, so I'm going to make these a tie is my first one in April was make my bed every day. Uh, that would, that really laid the, the foundation for, for me kind of growing a lot more. And it sounds super simple and I know a lot of people do, but Man, that that just such a simple task really does translate to a lot of different things in your life, and and I've continued to do that to this day. And to expand on that, I kind of fight with my friends about it. Some of them just don't get the principle of it, and it's like it's so simple. But you make that first task, you force yourself to do it, and once you complete one task, it makes it easier to complete the next successful task. And I don't know what it is, but it's just that snowball effect, right? And and even if you you don't. Like you don't think it's doing anything, and you don't get anything out of it, and it is so nice to to come back to your home after after a day of work or a day of school, whatever you're doing, and you've got this neat looking bed made up for you, and it just like the rest of the day could be absolute chaos, but you look there in your room, and everything's everything's sharp in the way it should be, and it it really just cha- changes your mentality a little bit. Absolutely, it's just that chaos and order, like you're bringing order to your home, and I think it's it, it like helps you build your identity of just being like a successful person or a productive person. Like if you look at yourself as like a person who's going to be productive today, that just helped. That's one aspect that helps you build that identity in yourself of being someone who's productive. But but uh, was there one more that you wanted to touch on? Uh, the other one I would I would say was the August challenge where I only drank water. Um, that one was not easy, and I have plenty of people uh, that can attest to that I actually did complete that challenge. I didn't, I hate to say it, but I didn't complete all these challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried, I tried hard with them, but I can't say that I actually did them. But that one was one that I actually stuck through the whole time. And, and I was really surprised. Like I didn't feel that different. I drink a lot of water. Mm-hmm. I don't, I kind of dwindled off the alcohol pretty substantially and uh, don't drink any Coke or anything like that. But only drinking water for 30 days. Like I was mainly surprised of my energy levels. They skyrocket. And and they really were. Like I drank my Celsius. I yeah. Got, I know last year I got you hooked on the Celsius. Celsius, yes. I should be a rep for them. I've, I've turned so many people onto those. Oh things. my God. They need to send you checks like tomorrow. <laughs> they should. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I had my, my Celsius in the mid afternoon or so just to get me through the rest of the day usually. But so I, I didn't know if I could get off of that and just kind of get past that hump every day. Mm-hmm. But I think I had more energy, like just energy levels throughout that entire month were were just not what I was expecting at all. Just drinking water, I, I've gone back to drinking Celsius just because it's good. It's got yeah. a little bit of flavor, but but yeah, just drinking water that whole month was was uh, was really interesting to see how my body reacted to that. Probably just a lot more consistent throughout the day. Definitely huh? was more consistent. Didn't have as many highs and lows and, and that kind of stuff. Not as many mood changes for sure. That's awesome. That is really impressive because I'm a coffee. I don't know if I could do it. So props to you for that, bud. And you should throw that one in the next year's challenges. Try to get people on board with it. I think that could be a big help for a lot of people. Yeah, we might do that. I think after this year, we might do like four or three-month challenges. So 
It might be a drink water for three months or something like that. For three months, <laughs> That's huh? kind of what we're thinking, but i gotta got to tinker around with a little bit more. Absolutely. I think that's awesome, and you got to shoot it out there so people can get on board. For sure. Get with it. Um, so your Instagram, I love your Instagram. I was in the PGA seminar, I mean, in front of like 60 people. They're like, who are your favorite people you follow? I go, I got Mike Bender. He's a pretty good teacher. Uh, CG Golf, Chase Garris, go follow him. <laughs> like, I'm trying to get people on board. Uh, why, why do you, I feel like you enjoy kind of adding that value. What do you like about that platform and why do you do it? So that's, um, that's been something that I, I really started because I got on staff with PXG. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the contract, of course, they don't uphold it, but it, at the time it felt like something I needed to do. They, they wanted you to, to advertise uh, their product on social media at least once a month is what it says. So I was like, okay, I don't want to do this on my personal page. So let's create a golf account and put some golf content out there. And that way we can, we can market it and do as I'm told and abide by my contract as well. And, um, didn't take it very seriously at first. It was just kind of something fun to do. Yeah. And, and as of late, I'm still don't take it that seriously. Like Instagram could be deleted tomorrow and I would, I'd be the same person. Like it would have no effect on me, but I just have a, I just have a ton of fun with it. And I love hearing people and, uh, their reaction to some of the stuff that I do and for them to reach out and just kind of be like, Oh, this is so cool. And like just little stuff like that is, is is really what makes it worth it. Like I get no financial gain. I'm not trying to become Instagram famous or, yeah. or anything like that. I just really one, I like video editing and and two, it's it's kind of used as like my homework as well. So I go out there and I'm like, okay, how can I get people to like this past Friday was I did the thoracic spine. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, how do you get mobility more mobility in your thoracic spine and I'm like okay we got a foam roller well how do you do that so now I'm researching that and so as I'm writing the caption I'm like okay well what are the different parts of the t-spine and I'm like is there a top is there a middle is there a bottom so I'm researching that and it turns out what I found there really wasn't they just number them okay so, so like the bottom is like your t12 the mid is t6 and top is t1 mm-hmm. so like I'm researching all this for for me to know and to put out there so that it's accurate information but it's it's like a studying aiding, it's, for you. Yeah, it's studying for me. It's like my homework. It's aiding yeah. in my learning as well. So I just kind of put it out there again for that accountability type thing. And I want to put out good information. So so it's been it's kind of going both ways to where I want to share knowledge and give people more knowledge and, mm-hmm. and something to to see and benefit from. But it's but it's also coming from almost a selfish aspect to where it's benefiting me too to to learn all these things and grow my knowledge. And I think there's so many stigmas around Instagram because there's so many different people and there's so many different influence or so many people putting out content. So there's so many different ways you can take it. But the way you're doing it and the way that I at least try to do it is just to add value to people and just use it as a great platform to connect and build a community. And I think if you go to your page, you can quickly find that there's not really other things going on or sales or whatever you're trying to do. Like you're just trying to add value and Help people golf better, man. Get out of the bunkers. Yeah, and there is like the the one little like CBD thing that that I'm technically an ambassador for, but even that, like, I'm not. I just throw that out there because it's something that I've used that's benefited my life. Like that stuff is awesome, mm-hmm. and uh, so I rep that and throw that on the page. I'm not going to say it on here, but if you're interested in a CBD product, you can go check it out on the page. Go get some. But, it's good uh, stuff. But that, like, I'll I'll never 
try to gain any kind of value or monetize anything from something that I don't use or believe in, right? And absolutely, and I'm not trying to demonize people who are selling or using their platform to you know, use especially products that they like and enjoy. I think that's awesome. It's just I think there's some people out there that their goal is to sell. Absolutely. And it's hard. You gotta it's tough to find out who the real people are. And I think you will after a while, but it's just kind of finding out exactly like getting the honest uh what's the intent of this. Right, correct. And it's kind of funny. I was thinking about about what I was gonna say and for this podcast, like I didn't I didn't really know what to expect or where we were gonna go. I still don't know where we're really gonna go. <laughs> yeah, who knows where we're going? <laughs> But uh, so I made a, a post that it was my most successful post to date on Tuesday. I think it was. I had like seventeen hundred views or yeah. whatever it was. Like that's super exciting. I got however many likes. And like like I said, it was my most successful post. So like no matter who you are, like I know it, it doesn't change your life by any means. But like that's fun. It's good to see. It's cool that, yeah. that you had a successful video and it was good. I mean, a clean bunker contact working on long shots. Like that's a really good way to tell how you're hitting the ball. Right. Absolutely. It's good. It was good value and, and a great drill for people to use. I think more people should practice out of a bunker for for full swings, anyways. Uh, but then I made a, another post the following Friday, and it got barely a hundred views. Right. Not that not not that many, but I still thought it was a it was a pretty good video, and mm-hmm. I and I got a lot from it research wise. But you know, I didn't change at all. I was out here, I was doing my daily challenge, I was cleaning my house, and I'm uh. sitting here singing and dancing around all by myself. Like I didn't change at all because I went from 1,700 views to 100 views mm. via one video. So yeah, it's all about the content. That's awesome, man. I love that about your stuff. And uh, we met um, last October coming down here to uh, the Wanderers Club in Florida. And I think we both started our growth process really. I, I had really, I'd been starting to get into audiobooks and starting to learn. And but when I got down here and met you, we kind of took off and created accountability together. Uh, for you, what was what really sparked that uh, that drive for more knowledge and you know going after audiobooks and stuff? Uh, I think the big thing for me at that time last year was just that I, I had time, right? Um, we were down here at Wanders doing the same job. We're working outside service, working three and a half days a week. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we were working 40 hours, a full-time job, but, but we had plenty of off time as well, which was, for me at the time, was fantastic. Loved it, yeah. And uh, it's kind of like, well, what am I going to do with this time? And, uh, and it was also in that time where I got to really reflect on my previous experiences uh, working in the golf industry, Mm-hmm. And, and think about really what I what I liked, what I didn't like, where I wanted to go, because I still didn't know where I wanted to go. So my my time that I had to to really reflect on my previous experiences really aided me in realizing where where I wanted to go with my career. And when I found that out, I realized that I didn't know much at all about what I wanted to actually do. Mm-hmm. I decided that I wanted to be. Uh, an instructor and teach full time versus being a head pro, yeah. which was the route that I was kind of in the kind of going towards. And uh, I realized real quick that if that's something I wanted to do, uh, one, I've got to take that real seriously. Two, that there's a ton to learn. And three, I didn't know most of it. <laughs> I still don't know most. Don't know most of it, but uh, but really had to had to get cracking on on knowing my stuff. Absolutely. So you get you kind of got into that teaching. I remember when you. You were telling me that that's more the route you were thinking about going. What are a couple of resources or things that you got a lot of value from right away or really drove you more into that industry? A big thing of me realizing what I wanted to do was really more of what I didn't want, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
I knew I didn't want to be folding shirts and ripping open boxes for the rest of my life. So, so that w- we kind of started there, and then then it kind of snowballed into okay, what what I actually did like about teaching. So we kind of started in a negative way, but but yeah. ended up the deciding factor ended up being the positives of of the feeling and stuff that it gives me, like teaching and helping people play better golf. I love that because one of my favorite quotes is, "Don't focus on becoming." Focus on unbecoming everything that isn't you. And then you're going to strip away everything and find out who you're meant to be. Yeah, and absolutely. That, That's a good quote. Yeah, I love it. I think it kind of relates to the journey that you were going through and stuff. Um, you got the TPI certification. So with instructing, we kind of started lifting. We were getting in the mornings. And what role does fitness play in your golf and kind of your industry? Uh, you know, fitness is, is becoming a huge thing in golf. I used to... Back in like the 90s, 80s, 90s or so, it was no fitness at all. And and then all of a sudden this guy, his name was Tiger Woods, kind of popped on scene. And he was this athletic-looking fit guy, and he was mopping everybody. Changed the and, world. And he changed he changed the world. He did, especially the golf world, mm-hmm. fitness-wise. So in the past decade or two, it's really become a big thing. Mm-hmm. And um, my little experience teaching, uh, I mean, most of People you're teaching are these club members. They're kind of older and they don't really move quite as well as as me or you or they used to when they were younger. Yeah. And so you're trying to get them to to do these things in their golf swing, but but they can't physically get there when they're not holding a golf club, right. let alone when they're trying to hit a golf ball with a stick in their hand. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to to really know why. I knew TPI was a was a big organization, very well known and and accredited, and so it's always been something I was interested in as as to why can't these people perform these actions, and also how do we get them to, so that they are able to perform these actions? So it's been really really cool experience and good info to have. And for those who don't know, uh, TPI is the Titleist Performance Institute. It's like where the fitness golf connection kind of goes. Like Chase, what is the exact for that? Yeah, so TPI is their thing is they call it the body swing connection. And through a bunch of their studies and, and assessments and stuff, they're able to to screen an individual and process what the most efficient golf swing is for every single individual. Okay, yeah. So what are a few things you learned with that? Actually, what tips would you give just to the average golfer looking to improve their fitness? Maybe they just have like 30 minutes. You know, what exercises should they be doing? Yeah, so I'll kind of go um, upper body some core, a core exercise and a, and a lower body exercise. Yeah. Um, so I think upper body wise, um, what the January challenge is, uh, pull ups are a great exercise. Whether you can do them on, with your own body weight or if they're assisted, um, I mean, pull ups, they work your back, your arms, your, your core, like you're, mm-hmm. you're working almost your entire body just trying to pull yourself up on, on this bar. So I think that's a fantastic golf exercise. They say front for show, back for go. That's right. Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, like your core, your core is huge for your golf swing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just about everybody knows that, but of course not everybody trains for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, love some uh, some anti-rotation stuff. Uh, a big one that I like that's super simple is is the payoff press, uh, where it's a banded exercise where you're you're you've stepped away, you've got some tension in that band that's mm-hmm. pulling you towards it. And uh, you're sitting there and you're resisting turning that way. It really engages your core a lot and you're working a lot of good muscles that way as well. It's yeah, so a payoff press, like a bleak slam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. And then, then lower body, you got to get some lateral movement in there. There's uh, 
course, you don't want too much. You don't want any kind of sways and slides in the golf swing. But there's there's quite a bit of lateral movement and mm-hmm. and posting up while you're while you're doing that lateral movement as well. So you've got to be able to uh, to work those muscles uh, that are not just like a, a front squat or a back squat or or anything like that. You've got to get some lateral movement and expose and train those muscles as well that that move you laterally. So like side lunges or side hops. Yeah. Kind of so so jumping kind of from side to side and sticking that landing, learning to post up on that leg, some side lunges, mm. work some different muscles that you may not be used to or don't even know that you have. So you'll be sore in some places that that you didn't know existed for sure. Yeah, for sure. Having to stabilize. I know we did some of the TPI exercises. You ran me through some of them, and I'm like, all right, I'm in pretty good shape. Like I've been working on my mobility, stability, and we're doing these exercises. And I'm like trying to brace myself on a little jump. And yeah, it's it's a completely different uh, muscle group that you're working, and, and you, exercises and some of the workouts that we do don't seem on paper like they're very intense, but they definitely get you sweating by the end of it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, those little ones you really get sweating mm-hmm. in like a 20 minute TVI workout. I yeah, love for it. sure. <laughs> uh, like for if we want to do some flexibility, some people maybe tighten the hips and stuff. Uh, what are a couple of things you may recommend for just flexibility with golf? I mean. We can go into stretches and stuff all day. I mean, I'm I'm not certified in it, like personal training wise, anything like that. But yeah. but just get your foam roller and roll those things out. I mean, mm. me and you, we both have the the hypervolt, which yep. is fantastic, man. I I don't know how I ever lived without that thing. Right. This is not an ad for it, but I don't know how I, <laughs> We're not how I live without that thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the hypervolt's fantastic. But just a simple foam roller and just mm-hmm. just roll it out, man. It feels so good, and you you feel so much better after you do it too. Oh my gosh, I know if anyone follows this, pliability and stuff, it's an absolute game changer getting that rotation in. Um, if you're going to, the, let's say you're going to play golf and you're going to warm up, what's your routine look like? Kind of get ready to go get the body going or yeah, ready to play? If I'm warming up for a tournament or something, um, I've really learned how to prep my body for it and, mm-hmm. and learning what kind of muscles and stuff that are actually activated um, in the golf swing and there's a lot of studies just using bands and having some resistance training. It doesn't have to be very heavy, very much resistance, but keep a band in your golf in your golf bag. Do some mm-hmm. pull-aparts. I know Yoakum lo- would love to hear that part, but yep. do some pull-aparts. Get your get your upper body activated. Do some squats with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just really get the whole body just going. Just get it fired up. Doesn't have to be very intense or for very long. Just get it moving though. Mm-hmm. Okay, you hit some balls. Maybe hit some pots. What do you? Yeah, my I, I would I don't hit very many golf balls. Uh, if it's especially if it's before a golf term or something like that, it, I, I hit a few balls for maybe ten minutes max. I'm not trying to work on anything mm-hmm. at that time. I'm just getting the body loose. So I mean, hit two or three wedge shots. Go up. Hit two or three iron shots. Hit two or three drivers, and then I might hit a driver. And then progress down. I might hit one driver, one iron, one wedge, just to kind of get that that length change and what's going to be more common on the golf course. Uh, so as far as like range work, I'm not not spending much time on the range, but definitely trying to get a feel for the greens for sure. Especially if I haven't played there before. Yeah, you get to be don't hit and just don't go hit like 15 seven irons on the tee. Like actually hit some clubs. You know, right, use. right. You gotta you gotta kind of change uh, change the length, like I said, and. Give it a more game-like experience out on the range, even though you're not actually on the on the tee. Yeah, I think that's very useful. We talked about that a lot last year, and that I've seen a no difference in my game. Just actually, maybe making myself hit shots I'm going to hit instead of just getting into practice mode before a tournament, trying to hit good seven irons. Yeah, because it's kind of like studying right before a test. If you don't know it twenty minutes before the test, you're you're not going to figure it out right there. So, <laughs> right, for sure. Um, 
As an instructor, uh, what are some common things you see with your golfers who are practicing, or like some just some general things in the industry of practice that you think maybe is a waste of time, or that you would say just shy, shy away from? Uh, definitely just the ball beating. Um, mm-hmm. You see a lot of people going out there, and and it's okay to go out to the range and just hit balls if you're just out there to just kind of waste some time and you just like to get out moving like yeah there there's a few people that do that when i'm hitting balls that's what i'm doing i just like to get out of the golf shop and, and move around a little bit but i'd say the the vast majority of people that that are just beating balls are, are thinking that they're getting better and mm-hmm. just doing the same thing over and over you know like the definition of insanity right so mm-hmm. so they're they're out there they're they're practicing they're they're like yeah i'm gonna go practice but they're not really working on anything and they're they're just ingraining those bad habits mm-hmm. uh so I would I would recommend to to more people to just play more. I mean, mm. it's, it's simple simple as that. I didn't have a range growing up, really. All I did was play. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not if you're not working on anything, if you're not working with an an instructor and actually trying to change anything in your golf swing, just go play. I mean, that's that's how you're going to get better is actually being out on the golf course and getting more experience out there. Love it. That's awesome, and I can totally echo that. As somebody who went through a two, three-year transformation of trying to fix their golf swing over and over, it really didn't do much for me other than learning about golf. Go play. That's awesome. Um, for a younger kid or somebody who's really trying to develop their game, like maybe a single-digit handicap listening or a high school kid who's trying to get better and they, they have an hour they want to go practice and they can't play, what are some drills or some things you'd say go recommend to do? Uh, definitely work on your short game. Mm. I mean, that's going to... That's gonna, be the the recommendation for anybody mm-hmm. work on your short game uh, i've been around a lot of a lot of good players uh that are pga fellow pga pros and a lot of a lot of pga pros and lpga pros and uh they'll hit balls and work on their swing for for a little bit of time but they putt and they chip and mm-hmm. work on that short game for the majority of time every single day and it shows in tournaments i mean I feel like in the general tournament, I do pretty well off the tee into the green, but I lose at least four or five shots to my competitors around the greens. Yeah. Just hitting chips and bunker shots. And like you say, you got to get the ball in the hole, right? That's right. That's the goal of golf. <laughs> <laughs> um, what kind of drills do you do? Or what, do you play any games if you're practicing your short game? Or oh, yeah. Drills you do? Uh, play all kinds of games. Uh, it could be just with myself. If I'm doing a, like a block practice drill, I'm always um, I'm really so- focused on my start line. Okay. Um, put a little gate of tees, or I've got some actual ball gates and stuff that I'll put six to six inches to a foot out in front of me, and I'm really focused on starting my ball online. Mm. Uh, these putts aren't very long; they're inside, they're inside ten feet. Uh, but really, really f- focus in on getting my ball started on the right line and my intended line. I like that. Anything with golf, like chipping. Long shots, if you can get it going online, you're at a good start. Yeah, you're going to be pretty well off, yeah. <laughs> For sure, you got to get going in the right direction. I struggle with that a lot. <laughs> right, I'm going to throw I'm gonna throw a scenario out there for you. Okay. We're going to call it the Swarney Nation scenario. My buddy, what's up, Sammy? Uh, you're out with your buddies. You're at like a buddy's weekend golf trip. I know a lot of guys listening to a lot of golf trips. I got to take more of those, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to pull you up to Minnesota for a little golf oh, trip. Yeah. Um, and let's say guys were out last night having fun. You know, you're just trying to get people to the golf course. They show up, you know, there's five, ten minutes for a teacher, and they're putting on their shoes. What are, what should they do if they got five minutes? How are we going to get them ready to golf? What do you uh, recommend? Well, I might tell them to keep drinking if that's the <laughs> <Yes>. case. <laughs> if they got five minutes. Five minutes. What are we going to spend our time on? Chipping. Chip it? Chip it. It's a, 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a shorter version of the actual full swing. And uh, so you develop a little bit of a touch around the greens. You get the club in your hand. You get to see how the, the ball is rolling on the green. And, mm. and just that short little motion will, will translate in your full swing as well. So if you've got five minutes, just hit some chip and pitch shots for sure. Feel the green. That's awesome tips there. Um, let's go back to your journey. Uh, you've been all around the world. I mean, you moved, what, 15 times, did you say? Uh, yeah. In the last eight years, uh, being since my first day of college in 2012, I've moved 15 different times to nine different cities and eight different clubs. Oh my gosh, that's unbelievable, man. Uh, any cities or places that really stand out? Down here. This Down is here it? in sunny, sunny Southern Florida, baby. This is it, huh? This is it, man. I've I've had some some really cool experiences. I got to I got to learn what I again what I liked mm-hmm. with where I lived and what I didn't like uh, where I lived. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been cool to to travel the country as much as I have. I've had again I've had some really cool experiences, a lot of good stories about my travels. But but down here is just something different for me. I'm not sure what it is, but it's always kind of felt a little more like home than the other places. Down the sunshine, I can relate to mm-hmm. that. Any uh, clubs that you really enjoyed? Anyone's any nice facilities that you liked? Oh man, I've been I've been really really fortunate uh, to work at some really nice ones. Um, French Lick uh, Resort, which is this awesome little resort in French Lick, Indiana, home of Larry Bird. All right, yeah, baby. <laughs> um, then I, I've gone to Stonewall and Philly Country Club. Both of those are in Philadelphia. Both of those are fantastic private facilities. Congressional in, in Washington D.C., which has hosted a PGA or a, I'm sorry, hosted a U.S. Open, and then probably the best golf course that I've worked at, just strictly golf course. Uh, was the one in New Jersey called Ridgewood Country Club, mm. and that place was unreal, man. Uh, that okay. I really grew, I grew a lot as a professional, like working there, but it, also as far as like the actual golf course, that place was so cool. The pure, it is so pure, man. Oh, boy. Uh, it, it's one of the most. I mean, it's rated in the top 100, I think, in in golf week, but uh, I, I still think it's it's way underrated. Really? Yeah. And they worked you to death over there, huh? Yeah, they did. But I mean, it's it's part of the process. You gotta yeah. you gotta pay your dues and. And uh, I wouldn't change that experience for the world. Mm. What's the course like? Long. It's it's hard, man. Long it, and hard. I mean, it's congressional with the U.S. Open course. It was it was pretty. It was only long, mm-hmm. right? It was all out in front of you. It was pretty much dead straight. It had a little bit of character, but but Ridgewood, man, it just had some really good holes out there, man. Whoa. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool that you've had those experiences. I, for me, I haven't quite been able to get out in there, so I think that's really unique. You can bring a lot of your lessons around uh, the different things you do, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Very thankful for the experience I've had and uh, and glad that I took advantage of it while I had the chance as well. Yeah, is there like, because not everyone would jump around and move like that. What what kind of made you, what gave you the push to be like, you know what, I'm just going to pick up and keep it, getting new experiences? You know, honestly, that was the, uh, the network that I that I really got in with the the head pros that I worked under and and stuff like that. Um, I've always wanted to kind of branch out from my little town of Brandenburg a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, so I wanted to see more of the country. We traveled quite a bit growing up, but always kind of wanted to be out of Kentucky and experience some different things. But I really I got really lucky and got in a really good network of of some really good PGA pros that worked all around the country, and uh, that's really what is what's pushed me and and enabled me to have these really good experiences. Do you feel like this is maybe time for you to settle down a little bit after jumping around so much, or are you kind of hungry to keep going? Yeah, I mean, 
it's it, it's a lot of fun bouncing around like that. I mean, you meet so many different people, like all these places. I didn't know anybody mm-hmm. at any of these cities. Um, it was just something I did. I didn't really think much about it. It was just like, okay, this is the job. Let's go. And uh, we'll figure everything else out when we get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot of fun, like I said, but it's also, it's tiresome. I mean, for sure. Moving 15 times in eight years and living out of my car, all my belongings pack up in my car and I'm just bouncing around all over the place. I mean, you get, you get tired of it. And uh, that life was, was fun for the time that I did it, but that's not something that I want to do full time for sure. Yeah, ready to settle in for sure. Um, are there any goals that you have going down the line? Maybe not in the next five years, but you know, maybe lifetime goals or stuff that you really want to accomplish. You know, in your time in golf or in your life in general. Yeah. So actually, one of these daily challenges that I did made me uh, write down a a bucket list for myself and and share it. Was that was the daily oh, challenge? Yeah. And uh, before that, I never really made a bucket list. I always had like a couple things that I was always like, oh, I'd like to do this or that, but. Uh, Never really sat down and, and really thought about that. And mm. the bucket list ended up being more of a goal list for me. Um, I discovered that I want to be in teaching. Like, that's what I want to do. That's where I want my career to go. Well, so, I mean, yeah, I would love to be recognized as a, as a top 100 teacher, be a golf digest or whatever it is. It just gives me that credibility. Mm-hmm. Of course, the issue that I had with it was if I, I, I get kind of scared if I get recognized as a top 100 instructor. Where do we go from there? But but we'll we'll worry about that when we get there. I think so. But I can see it, man. You keep working. I totally see that for you. Yeah. So that's definitely a big goal, just to kind of be recognized as that as uh, be a good good recognition for for some of the work that that I plan on doing. But uh, honestly, I just kind of like live day by day. Like I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. trying to get better every single day. Me and you both read Atomic Habits, and he's mm. he's big into like one percent gains, one percent, half percent, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just. Just get better every single day. Like, what did you do today that makes you, that's going to make you better tomorrow, right? It could be taking a cold shower. It can be something super simple, but but I don't do it myself. I don't sit there and consciously ask myself, but but a lot, of, and sometimes I do mm-hmm. uh, on lazy days, but a lot of people get benefit from kind of laying down in bed and just saying, what did I do today that that is going to make me better tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? And um like again, it doesn't have to be this world-changing thing. We're not going to change the world in one day, but just one percent, half percent better every single day. Just don't digress and keep going forward. It's awesome. Just lay one brick every day. That's right. And there's an awesome quote going around. I forget who it's by. It's like everybody overestimates what they can do in one year, but they underestimate what they can do in five years. And I think that's so true. If you can just lay consistent bricks, you never know what you'll get to. And I think that's that's a really good point, actually. Being 2019, just a few days away from from going into 2020. Yeah. You know, everybody's talking about the decade. It's the end of the decade, and everybody's like, "Well, where were you in 2009? Like a decade ago?" And it's really cool. For of course, we were so young. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we were, I think 2009. What we were sophomores or something. I don't know. Freshmen, sophomores young. in high school. Oh man! But it's, it's really cool to see some people. They were like, "Oh, I was flipping pizzas at Domino's or something like that," and now they're like. They're running multi-million dollar co- mm-hmm. companies and stuff like that's only ten years. Like we just went through that. Like think about what the next ten years. We're we're so young. Like 
we're only 36. Like, what are we going to accomplish in five, 10 years from now? So it's, it's really kind of an interesting thing to see everybody talking about end of the decade and where you were at in those, those short 10 years. Absolutely. And that mindset, that draws me to people like you and Yoakum and whoever it is, Rashad Cohen. Like, when you get that mindset, it's, it's infectious. And what you can do once you decide that you're not just going to live and do whatever and you decide that I'm going to go for something, you don't know what it's going to spiral into. And you can just jump at something, jump at something. And that mindset, it'll spiral and snowball into good things and good opportunities. And it's hard to, once you decide to start living for something and laying those bricks, it's going to be hard to hold you back over time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Um, I think it'd be a travesty to get you on this podcast and not talk about your two favorite books. I mean, we've <laughs> we've been listening and list, looking at a lot of different things. What are uh, what are two of your favorites? I know you touched on Atomic Habits, so we're gonna have to jump past that one. James Clear, it's an awesome book. Oh, you're gonna take that one away from I'm me? Taking huh? it away, that's fantastic. But just give me two more that kind of stood out to you. You know, if you if you met me two years ago, you would think that's the stupidest question you could ever ask me. Right. Me too. Uh, I still don't. I still don't read like physical books. I'm terrible at that. Right. But now I've got to commute, and I like audiobooks have been like game changers. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I blow through those things like crazy. Yeah, you do. And uh, so that's been really, really interesting. It's also helped me reading because I know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, there's value in in reading these books now. It's not just pointlessly reading some some word on a page. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get to that, like, I'm really fortunate to meet you and, and kind of get introduced to audiobooks and podcasts and stuff like that. So I'm definitely thankful because you've been a huge part of, of me engaging in, in that kind of stuff and growing. So, uh, with awesome, that being thanks. said, uh, since you're taking atomic habits away from yep, me, it's gone. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the two that I previously listened to actually, uh, the most recent one I just finished this past week called the alter ego effect by Todd Herman. Uh, that's, that was actually a really cool, uh, book. He talks, I won't go too, too in depth with it, but the very beginning of, of the book, and I think it's in the first chapter, he lays this, uh, this sci- this study down and he talks about these scientists had three kids, uh, in a room okay. in front of a door with a lock and they gave him a huge ring of keys and they were supposed to unlock the lock, right? Yeah. But the trick of it was that none of the keys worked for the lock. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. But they told one kid to act as if he was Batman, one kid to act as if she was uh, Dora the Explorer, and then the third kid, they they didn't tell him to do anything. It was just, he was just his normal self, right? Okay. And they did this multiple times. And they found that consistently, uh, that uh, the kids acting as Batman and Dora the Explorer tried harder and longer and became and were not as frustrated uh, and trying to unlock this this lock. Really, right? the the person, the kid that acted as just himself, there was no no thought process, no alter ego. Uh, always gave up before those other two kids, and they wow. said that uh, that one of the kids in the studies turned around and said. Batman never gets frustrated. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so I think that that little like quick study that he kind of starts the book is a great way to kind of explain what the book is about and and enhancing your personal performance or athletic performances. It's a natural thing to do, and you can kind of act um, 
create your own alter ego to enhance performance mentally. You don't have to tell anybody or anything. Yeah, it was, it was a super interesting read, and and he goes way deeper than that, of course. But yeah. just as a quick little note, but that it takes your ego out of it, right? That's so right. Cool. You kind of yeah. become a different person and, and can behave a little bit differently, and and it's just something that that you can possibly do, right? For sure, it's it's all mentality based stuff. That's fantastic. Um, What's the other book? We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that one. I know I, we haven't gotten to, to really dive into that book since that one's so new. Yeah, but, I like that. Uh, the second book is is going to be Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. Buddha, stoic kind of book that that I felt like I was, I'm already pretty good at, uh, containing my emotions and really seeing the, the world around me as the way it actually is and mm-hmm. not seeing anything that's not there, right? But uh, I think that's an incredible book for a lot of people to read and really kind of slow down and become, like it says, more still in their everyday life. And it really guides you in different ways to do that, whether it be journaling and meditate. And he breaks it up in chapters. And it's a super, super short uh, read or listen uh, that I've listened to two or three times now. And I've gotten a lot of value and, and been able to portray that to, to people and in different scenarios as well. So it's that's been a, a really good listen. Stillness is the key. Stillness yeah. is the key. He's got a lot of other really good books for uh, athletic performance, but that's the only one I've listened to so far. I like that. He is he Buddhist or has like that monk background or something? Um he actually doesn't really say I don't know that that <laughs> much personally about him. I haven't done that too much research, but uh, his his writings definitely portray that that kind of sense anyways. I love that perspective and a book that just changed my perspective was the 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sharma. And he has a monk background, but he's also like a business productivity guy. And just like that perspective, I think when people talk about like really trying to be productive and make a difference, but then they also have the perspective to like just stillness and like, why are we doing this? That why aspect is so important and awesome. And I think I, I'm sure and that's not the key. I haven't got to it, but that's going to be on my list. Uh, just that that kind of settled perspective is is really awesome and really resonated with me at least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have like a personal kind of mission statement for yourself or just a why? I know that's a very internal question, but is there is there a reason why you get up every day or do you have a, a little short statement of kind of why you do what you do? You know, it's kind of kind of getting back to the 1%, like get better every day, kind of what I was talking about there. Um, that's been something I've been thinking about a lot. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. Yoakum's big into it. You're big into it. Uh, so I'm surrounded by that. You you listen to podcasts and or whatever kind of motivation thing on Instagram you may come across, and they're they're always bringing up why, 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 mm-hmm. why. Um, but it's it's something that that I need to put a little more thought into. Okay. Um, and and I've been doing that, but haven't found that exact statement yet. And I know that's probably not what you're looking for exactly, but I mean, that, I'm just, I've been searching for it and it just hadn't hit me yet. I love that answer and I'm looking for honesty. And I think it took me so long. My head coach in college, junior college, like uh, Glenn Crusoe, St. Thomas, he started requiring us to think about our why. And it took me years and years to develop it. But once you start thinking about it, it becomes present. And I think it's very powerful to just, just be conscious and thinking about why you're doing what you're doing. Right, why are absolutely. Why up? For sure. I love that answer. That's a great one. All right, we do got to get to the end here. Uh, I got two final questions for you, but before we get to the last two, I want your favorite podcast for golf and just a general favorite podcast. Real quick. All right. 
Favorite golf podcast has got to be Golf Science Lab. Yes. He's a Minnesota boy. Yep. Uh, but he puts some really good stuff out there. and really, Most of them are short episodes, so they're real quick listens. And uh, just provided with a lot of good information from a broad perspective of a lot of different subjects. Mm-hmm. So that's my favorite golf one. And um, Lewis, Lewis Howes. School of Greatness. Um, again, very diverse podcast, puts a ton of them out. So you can mm-hmm. always find something or someone in there to to listen to and gain value from. He's got, yeah, that, that thing is, has been pretty much life-changing uh, for me is listening to his, to his stuff. I would agree. And just because there's literally everyone, I mean, almost all the celebrities you could think of have been on it. Yeah, just, I mean, he's, he's, it's incredible. The, the people that he's had on there, like Jerry West, uh, Kobe was, was awesome. But yeah. uh, podcasts like that are, are great because when, when can you hear the, these high celebrities and these big names talk and, and share their stories and experiences and knowledge without actually being at the dinner table with them. So And it's, it's free. Right. And it's, it's completely free. free. It's yes. it's on a real platform that, that podcasts are and uh, more people should definitely take advantage of yes, it. They should. And that's what that's what this platform's all about. Sharing knowledge and sharing experiences to, you know, all grow as a community here. All right. Last two questions for you, CG Golf. Um, other than your friends and family, basically outside of people or relationships, uh, what's something you're grateful for every day? Uh, something that I'm grateful for every day is, uh, is is not settling, which will sound kind of weird, but like we talked about earlier, I've moved around so much, and and you see you see a lot of people that that maybe you went to to high school with or college with or something like that, or maybe somebody older than you, and and you see them kind of settle for for what they have, and and they get in a slump. It's easy to get in a slump, and they feel like they're kind of stuck after a while, and it's it's not very fun to see. You hate to see that, but I'm grateful for for the opportunities that that my future has in front of me, like where I can go from where I'm at right now. Mm, that's an awesome answer, man. Really good. All right, last question. Uh, down the road, hopefully a long time for you, but I don't know what you're up to. Um, <laughs> Let's say we're gonna live forever. We're on that Gundry type stuff. Yeah. We're gonna live to 150. I'm at least 150 after those Dave last. Dave Asprey. Book. I mean, yeah. I know you might not be a big fan of him, but we're gonna live to 200. Yeah, he's doing all kind of crazy stuff. I'm more of the natural guy, but he's got stem cells coming in, injections every morning. Right, anyway, when you have some kids, you know they're 12, 13 year old down the road. You got a couple kids, and they're just growing up. They're starting to learn about the world. Um, you've had all your knowledge. You've had all the experiences. You've You've started to become the person you really want to be, and your kids are growing up. What are three things, or what are a few things that you would tell these 12, 13-year-old kids, just learn about the world, three things that you believe would help them live a happy, healthy, and a a fulfilled life? Oh, man. (laughs) That's a tough question. Standing. Um, I mean, first thing that comes to mind, uh, treat everyone like your best friend. You know, just conversationally and building connections and, and building respect with whether it be somebody that, like their peers or their elders or something like that. Treat and talk everybody, to everybody like, like they're your best friend. Mm. Treat every, like, like you want to be treated, like the golden rule, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a golden rule for a reason because it's, it's true. Like it's that's, golden. Yeah, it's golden, baby. <laughs> uh, the second one I'm going to tell them, and I, I think I got this from um, – from growing up in such a small town where everybody kind of knows who you are and they see you everywhere is be who you want to be. Mm. Um, nobody, 
I mean, especially nowadays, nobody cares mm-hmm. like who you actually want to be. Like as long as you follow rule number one and treat everybody with respect and stuff, be who you want to be because because nobody cares who that is. Just just be yourself and, and go out there and do what you want to do. Uh, third thing, just career wise, is is love whatever you do. Uh, like I said, what I'm grateful for, like don't settle for anything that that's not actually you. You've got to. If you like what you do, I mean, you hear people say this all the time, if you like what you do, uh, you never work a day in your life, that whole cliche thing. But uh, but just don't settle and, and really love what whatever it is that you choose to do. Like, it doesn't matter what you choose to do. I'm not going to force anything on anybody. But uh, but you, you've got to like what you actually do. That's awesome. Love what you do. Treat everyone like your best friend. And be who you want to be. All right, CG Golf, everybody. Thanks, bud. Thanks, man. This mm. fun. Yeah, rockstar lifestyle might not